0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Kia ora and welcome. This is Garden of Sound brought to you with thanks to Mint Finance, business loans made easy. Today on the show, Steve Driver. Originally from the UK, Steve started his New Zealand musical career on the Christchurch club and pub circuit. With a supportive family alongside him he made the move to Australia and soon found himself in a hit rock band, Bang The Drum, touring extensively and supporting some of music's biggest names. But the times change? So did Steve, moving back to Christchurch to continue a successful career as a singer and entertainer. So, is there still a little gas left in the tank for Bang The Drum and... Is there a tour on the horizon? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on 96.9 Plains FM. Steve, I want to talk about um, your earliest musical memories when music sort of entered your brain and you went, huh, what's that?
0: Probably in childhood, uh, growing up in England, the uh, BBC radio was constantly on in the house and there was always themes for all those shows and they stick in your head. As soon as you hear them, you're, you're sort of transported back in time.
1: What's the most notable thing that you could <sighs> sort of
0: remember, program? Probably themes from The Archers mm-hmm. and all those sort of shows. There was comedy shows and, um, you know, the, the rest of the time it was mum and dad's record collection you know because we constantly had music playing somewhere and it could be anything from you know 40s 50s and to the early 60s sort of thing
1: any particular artists that sort of
0: stand out for you well most of it i loved all of it but i think the first time i sort of aware of the excitement of uh, pop music was probably the beatles Uh because it was uh, growing up in the early 60s in england you were Pretty much, um, you know, blasted by the Beatles. It was all about the Beatles. Every headline was about the Beatles, mm. and their music kind of popped out of the radio very, very strongly.
1: Do you remember what your mum and dad's uh, feeling
0: towards the Beatles was? I think they were like okay with it because they were fairly hip uh, for their age, as it were. Because they, they grew up in the sixties and they were sort of probably more rock and rollers and that sort uh-huh. of. And even wartime music for them because they were another generation. But I think to them it was all part of whatever was going on the scene and the music and let's let's have a listen it's uh, it's interesting
1: did that sort of like give you a give you an idea that you wanted to sort of emulate that or do that just that excitement aspect
0: um i guess uh, most kids would sort of think about doing it but not not seriously it's like it's part of your life and and at the time i was learning piano and violin at the same time so that was a totally different you know, It was still music, but it was nothing to do with the Beatles or pop music. It was just very classical sort of stuff.
1: So was that based um, at your school, or were these lessons outside of school?
0: No, I had lessons at home. So I had piano and then uh, violin at the same time. So I was five years old, which is pretty wow. much too young because I got to the stage where I really resented it. I'd rather be playing football with my friends than, um, you know, and it didn't make much sense to me because I was playing tunes that didn't mean anything to me.
1: And who did you support back then, football-wise?
0: Ah, now, so my local club was Watford. Yes. And um, my dad took me down for a game I can remember, and back in those days there were four divisions, and they were in Division 4, and it was a pretty crappy football field, I have to say. It was very cold, and I do remember seeing them being beaten by... I think it was Bognor Regis or something, like 1-0. It wasn't particularly uh, exciting
1: stuff. There's nothing wrong with Watford being a Palace supporter. Oh, of myself, course.
0: Well, I'm not going to get into that because, uh, you know, I don't follow it as much as I used to. I mean, when I was living there as a child, football was everything. It was always on the radio. It was always on television.
1: But pretty much that the heroes of football or the heroes of the, the music world, they were all they were all stars. So did you start to sort of see, actually, this is something I really want to do?
0: Well, I think it was something, I guess, in the back of your mind, something to aspire to. Like if you were going to be good at something, be really Bloody good at it, and you know, try and get to the top of the tree, as it were. But I, I think, um, you know, you just enjoyed the football, you enjoyed the music, it was a part of your life, but it wasn't really a calling. And I think I, I wasn't particularly bright at school, things sort of went by me. I don't know why I couldn't absorb it. I was always looking out the window, and most of my reports were uh, Stephen is easily distracted. So, um, yeah, I guess it's the sort of dreaming. Daydreaming all the time, which is probably more of a creative uh, brain, I guess.
1: How did you find yourself in New Zealand?
0: Well, back in the sixties, uh, New Zealand was very short of uh, tradespeople, and my dad was a um, a printer. So um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand were all looking for tradespeople. So we had the choice of three destinations, and my dad. Uh, chose uh, New Zealand which was fantastic because I'm I'm so glad he did. So he came over here to be a tradesman and so we came along with him for the ride. So that was it. We were in New Zealand.
1: And I presume back in the day your mum was the housewife?
0: Pretty much. She did have secretarial work so that was her skill. Yeah yeah, and then we had to basically go uh, go to school and um, learn the ways of a new country which is when you think about it New Zealand is an English-speaking country but if you come from England Uh, Back in those days, it was quite a foreign place. You know, there was even the accent. I couldn't quite understand what people were saying. Sometimes, you know, like just slang words, you go, I don't know what that means.
1: Unless you turn on the NZBC yes, and you've got <laughs> the very British pronunciation. I know, it
0: sounds fantastic, doesn't it? When you see those old reels, you think, yeah. my God, what were they thinking?
1: Let's talk about high school in New Zealand. Uh, was there any sort of formal musical education or a music curriculum for you?
0: Yeah, back in the day, it was, um, you could either join the orchestra or the brass band so there was no there was no rock and roll and it was like oh well I guess the brass band so that I, I became a cornet player wow and um, we're well, not very good we used to just play hymns in the morning and yeah. that was it was like it was just something to do because I was I, I felt relatively musical but still piano violin mm-hmm. even
1: at an early age in then in a brass instrument
0: yeah I guess you know it's just part of what you do and I guess it, it, back then it would have been my parents thinking well still Steve's musical let's he certainly he can learn to play the clarinet at the corner to the piano and so you go along and do it because you can you don't particularly enjoy it you just sort of go along with it so
1: where did the singing come
0: along I did sing in school choirs but that wasn't really like lead singing or or stepping out by yourself and singing in front of people so you could sort of hide in a choir <laughs> um, it probably came about when I was about 18 we used to have um, uh, jams and parties in friends garages with instruments we all played instruments and made as much noise as we could and um apparently i was the only one that could sing in tune i mean not particularly strongly but being in tune is probably a good start so it grew from there so it wasn't wasn't anything i sort of set out to do and it just sort of grew from there so you just go from that to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing was this in christchurch
1: yeah okay so tell me you're an 18 year old or thereabouts Mm. um what was the what was the drinking age back then uh, that was twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Okay.
0: So tell me about the music
1: scene, because you must have you must have done it for at least a few years.
0: Those days, there were a lot of um, what we called uh, beer barns. Uh, the Lion Breweries and DB used to have pubs everywhere, so there was a band more or less in every bar in Christchurch, which is pretty amazing if you think about it now, and all those bars were packed out every Friday and Saturday night. Okay. So that was something as um, a young guy to aspire to, like playing in a pub, how fantastic would that be? That'd be like, you know, um, a
1: a, a dream gig. Two questions that come out of that. One is, um, what was the pay like uh, for those groups? And the second is, so what's happening now that Mm. you can see Mm. band-wise In Christchurch, eight years
0: on from the quakes. Well, back then, I don't think we, we didn't really sort of, we didn't really have a lot of leverage as far as, you know, our fee went. So um, we basically, you know, if somebody said, you guys get a hundred bucks each, go, yeah, that's fantastic. That's more money than I could dream of, you know, for playing three or four hours in in a band. For the most part, the bars could afford that because they had the patronage and they had a full house and they were selling lots of booze. So that wasn't a big deal. So there's a very lively scene. And, and of course, you have to remember back then there was no uh, internet. There were no mobile phones. There was no Netflix. Um, There was no sort of distractions. So if you wanted to socialise with your friends, you actually went to the bar. And generally you went to the same bar because you wanted to catch up with your friends. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily that the band's had a big fan base, it was there was probably a few there to see the band, but there was other people there to socialise as well, and that was part of that group of people, so they went to their same bar every week. But these days, um, yeah, it's a very, very um odd state of affairs. Because if you think about
1: population base, yes, I know we have had ups and downs and hopefully things are on the on the way up in, in mm. Christchurch. At mm. least but you'd think that people would still like to go out and
0: see their friends.
1: At the weekend, have we got too many venues?
0: Uh, there's there's a little bit of that, and I think also, like I say, the home entertainment thing has kind of taken over. And I think after the earthquakes, everybody went into their shell a little bit. I know I did. I, in the sense that, like, I didn't really want to go anywhere. I just wanted to be at home. If I had to go out, I'd go out. If somebody was having a party, I'd probably make an effort because I wanted to catch up with friends. But there was less of that going on, and I think we just needed to regroup and, you know, get our uh, nerves. Yeah. Settled again, yeah. and I think now we're starting to go out and about and socialise more. But the the bar scene is totally different to uh, the way it would have been back in the seventies.
1: It's time for some music. It's sure. always
0: important to have some music in the show.
1: Uh, one of the um, one of the questions I always ask is uh, influences, and you talked about you know growing up in the UK. So uh, so any of the big bands that you think.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, pretty much we can safely say the Beatles, um, when they when they actually exploded on the scene in England, I actually had Beatles wallpaper. Wow. Uh, my mum put it up for us. And and the, the funniest story about that is at the time, every week there was a new band in England. These guys were going to knock the Beatles off their perch. So it was like the Dave Clark Five or Jerry and the Pacemakers and this and this. And I can remember my mum finishing doing the wallpaper and I said to her, Mum, do you think they have any Dave Clark 5 wallpaper? So it kind of went down pretty badly. But the Beatles maintained and they just they just kept going. And they were just um, such a big part of our lives.
1: What Beatles track would you like to play?
0: Well, uh, it's not a, uh, necessarily the most musical piece, but I want to hold your hand. Because I can remember as a kid, these songs, their first songs were, were very simple, but they just... They just almost seem to uh, explode out of the radio. They just sound so lively and so exciting uh, compared to a lot of the stuff that we were listening to at the time. Amazing.
2: Inside, it's such a feeling. Шат
1: This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on 96.9 Plains FM.
2: Hey my sisters and brothers, it's Brad from the Butlers and the Singlefin Mingle. If you're looking for a top-notch screen printer for your next big shindig, then go down to see James at Against the Grain Screen Printing. He's been printing out t-shirts and merch for the Mingle for many, many moons. He's an absolute ledge and he's one of the few qualified textile lords in the city. So get down and see him, you're guaranteed a great price and a mean result. Check him out on the world wide web atgscreen.co.nz. That's atgscreen.co.nz.
1: This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on Planes FM 96.9. Um, Steve, it's time to talk about concerts and, and gigs and things as, as a young person. I'm not sure whether this might be the United Kingdom or New Zealand.
0: What's the first big gig you remember? When you're 18 years old or 20 years old, every gig is a big gig. you know. So whether you're playing in a bar or, or at somebody's party, it's exciting you know, because you're performing in front of people and with a bit of luck, they'll like what you're doing. So... Um, yeah, I guess progressing from playing school halls to um, youth halls to playing in a bar to to going on a touring circuit, so you gradually work your way up to to um, you know bigger events. But but to me, every, everything at that time was so exciting.
1: Any um, support acts during that time?
0: uh yeah well i've in Australia in the eighties we we taught a lot with with uh with big acts um because that was a way of um you know selling a record and getting out in front of people so we we did the Australian tour with Fleetwood Mac uh tour with Eric Burden the Divinyls Jimmy Barnes uh, any number of those sort of 80s stars
1: and this was with Bang the Drum. Yes. Okay, so uh, you've had enough of New Zealand and doing the pub circuit and, mm. and you decide Australia. Yeah. Um <laughs> tell me about getting over there and getting into the scene.
0: Well, you know, when you're young you just kind of get up and go. You know, when I first joined a band somebody, you know, said, you know, we we're going to get a van, we're going to put gear in it, we're going to tour New Zealand. You go, "Okay, you don't you don't say How much are we getting? Where are we staying? Can I have some detail, please? Because when you're young, you just go, that sounds fantastic. And we'll sort out the details later. Um, But that was more or less the same uh, as my trip to Australia. It was like, I'd like to go and check out Australia now. And it wasn't really uh, probably a lot of thought or planning went into it. I just knew that there was a great music scene over there. So my wife very kindly came with me and thought, well, we'll we'll start a new life. So we basically landed in Melbourne with, um, you know, um, three or four hundred bucks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, took it from there and just uh, managed to, um, you know, find our way, as you do.
1: Okay, so context-wise, was it a case of looking around notice boards or picking up the, you know, trade and exchange or whatever? How did that music side come
0: about? Yeah, well, um, there was, at the time, and probably the same in New Zealand, I think, there were a lot of uh, music magazines and weekly magazines, and there was always, you know, musicians wanted, and it was like, it was a real crapshoot, you know, it could be anything, and you turn up to these places, you go, oh my God, Uh. these people are terrible. But, um, yeah, so you basically audition, and um, I found a band in Melbourne that I really liked, and it was just playing bars and clubs, and... They were starting to write original material, and we got to record a couple of those as demos. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun just finding out how it works. Who I didn't know a lot of the artists there in Australia, because back at the time, you know, you have to imagine there is no internet. Yep. And so um, I sort of knew a couple of names here and there because they were more mainstream acts, but because you're turning up um, in a brand new country... So I'm, I'm getting introduced to all these people. I don't know who they are. So I'm probably not offering them enough uh, honor as I talk to them because, uh, you know, I, I go and I ask them, who's that guy? And they say, oh, that's a so-and-so. Didn't you realize you were talking to so-and-so? But in a
1: way, that's a good thing because, you know, we all do the same thing at it the is. end of the day. It
0: is. And it's it's kind of nice, but it's nice to look back and go, wow, I met that guy. And, yeah. you know, and we just had a conversation probably about something really mundane yeah. because I didn't, I didn't really have have the appropriate reverence mm. when I was talking to them.
1: Okay. So knowing what you know now and looking back to when things started sort of progressing in the right direction with Bang the Drum, mm. anything you'd say to, to young Steve? <laughs>
0: yeah, I would say enjoy it more because I think it you Enjoy get, it more. Uh, yeah. This is the eighties. Yeah. But I, I mean I I mean I did enjoy it, but I, I but at the same time because there's so much sort of it because the a lot of the business is kind of bewildering. You know, because you're not really switched on to that stuff, and people say, "Oh, look, look, we'll worry about that later. We'll just tuck it away." And you go, "Yeah, but I haven't really looked at that. I've signed this thing. I'm not really sure." But but at the same time, you're being offered a deal, and you can either take that deal or not take that deal. So that was your choice. So generally speaking, um, the deals weren't so good, Mm -hmm. but it was the only way to um, you know get ahead. Um, Now. Both your sons uh, are musical.
1: Um, yep. I went to broadcasting school with Nick. Yes. Um, and then we've got Tim, who alongside um, H, are mm. part of Dillustrate. Yep. Obviously, probably doesn't want dirt looking
0: over his shoulder, but have <laughs> you sort of been able to help Tim with a few decisions? Well, I haven't. I've sort of been quite hands-off because they're, they're really bright guys and they've really got it sorted out, and it's a whole different way of doing business these days. So I wouldn't even begin to... Uh, pretend to understand how it works these days. Uh, so I, I think the guys—they're they're in good hands. They're—they're they're, they're very capable. They know what's going on. And and I guess sometimes it's hard for um for me to adapt <clears throat> to the modern ways of doing things because there was a set way of doing things. You got a band, you toured, you did this, you did that, and it's not that anymore. You know, it really is. Are
1: you talking about perhaps? releasing of an album or maybe putting singles out there or things along those lines
0: yeah yeah i think it's um there's a lot more um internet stuff you know that you have to be savvy with and um you know all of that stuff was taken care of back when i was doing stuff and that's a good thing and a bad thing because you don't know what's happening but at the same time all you've got to do is go out and sing Uh, but the the guys now if you're in the band you really have to have all the bases covered you have to know all about the business and understand it.
1: This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on 96.9 Plains FM. Thanks for being with us today. Garden of Sound is sponsored by Mint Finance. You probably heard how they can help you achieve your business goals, but who are they? Well, Mint Finance is part of the One Partner Group. It's owned and operated by New Zealand entrepreneurs Sam Kavanagh and Amos Bambury, Two well-known industry leaders with a proven track record for creating great borrowing experiences and helping clients with smart lending decisions. Since 2014, the One Partner Group has facilitated over $185 million in lending and has worked with over 13,000 borrowers. More importantly, they're looking forward to helping you with your business needs. You can find out more today by calling 0800 or you can visit mintfinance.co.nz This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on Planes FM 96.9 uh, Steve, I want to talk about writing and composition and making music and probably a little bit about recording
0: music as, as well. When did you write your first song? Uh, That would have been uh, probably in the 80s in Australia. It hadn't occurred to me uh, until then that perhaps I should um, have a crack at songwriting. Um, But uh, as Bob Dylan said, there's nothing like a deadline to get you creative. You know, you have to, I mean, we were working our butts off in Sydney six nights a week as a live band, covers band, and we were starting to introduce um, original material so um, you know the, when we finally got talking to a record company they said well you know how, 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 how are your songs looking how many songs have you got we've got, we got, we got heaps and we go we haven't got any so it was like I better start writing some songs So, um, yeah, I was sort of thrust into it, really. I never felt the urge to do it. I was a bit lazy, I guess.
1: Never felt the urge to perhaps communicate an idea or express yourself in that way?
0: Yeah, yeah, but it sort of came later. I think I was so caught up in just being um, a live singer, playing rock and, you know, just partying more or less. It's yeah. like treating it as a, as a way of entertaining myself and other people. The, the, the writing and the creative side didn't really occur to me till later, and perhaps I wouldn't have been equipped enough to have uh, put anything together. Maybe, I, maybe if I was pushed into it, I, I could have done it. It's one of those things, you know, you, everybody has something inside them, but unless somebody actually gives them a bit of a nudge, it's not going to happen. So like I say, that deadline thing is like, oh, um, they, need a, they need 10 songs for an album, so we better get busy.
1: All right. So over what sort of time period did those songs manifest?
0: Um, I guess uh, prior to the album, we had uh, a, a few bits and pieces that we could play people. Mm-hmm. And then um, probably within about three or four months, we had an album's worth that we, we thought was pretty good. And then when I say an album's worth, generally speaking, in those days, that was 10 songs. So you pretty much had to write 15 or 20 Okay. so that you could you know pare it down to the the stronger ones
1: uh, so, what company uh, had you signed with? Had you signed a deal at that point? Uh,
0: that was WEA in, okay. in in uh, Sydney.
1: Let's come to the the actual recording. This this is bang the drum. Yep. Right. Um, so you signed. It's time to uh, time to get into the studio. Was yep. uh, was a producer assigned, or did you find someone to?
0: No, we had uh, through the record company. We had a. a <laughs> the thing is, the the list gets longer because you have a producer, then you have an executive producer. So it's like all these people, but we um, we had a. A guy called David David Hemming who was brilliant. He did Ice House and uh-huh. um, Dragon and uh, um, Wow. He was working at Albert's studio, which of course is the famous A C D C studio. So we recorded at Albert's which was really exciting because that was, you know, where A C D C started and um, is this the, in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the guys from the Easy Beats worked there. So that was George Young, which was the older brother of the Young brothers from ACDC. Used to see him every day making a pot of tea. Lovely <laughs> bloke. But, but once again, at the time, I didn't realize the significance of all of this stuff. I sort of thought, I, I heard, you know, this was where they did this. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, But I'm busy. I'm doing my album. <laughs> but when I look back on it now, it's like, wow, that was real history. It was um, a really exciting place to be, Australia, in the 80s for music.
1: Okay, so uh, the album itself—you're in the studio. You're, you're tracking all your bits and pieces. Uh, what what happens after that? Is it the tour or a bit of promo stuff?
0: Yeah, well, um, usually it's a matter of getting the the artwork done, the videos done for the first single, you know. And normally it's nice to have other people choose the sequence of the songs because if they, you know, at the time I couldn't think of a decent sequence for those ten songs you know, to make it flow from one end to the other. So somebody decides on that, like I say, the artwork, uh, photographs, um, uh, radio interviews, promo, um, and then, um, yeah, you're out on tour and you're doing, back in those days, there was uh, appearances like Countdown and um, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, which were live shows in Australia, which were great for promotion because you could play a bar one week and there'd be 100 people there one appearance on Countdown, Mm -hmm. and the next week it's absolutely chock-a-block. So that was a great way of promoting the band.
1: What about radio? What about those kind of experiences? Had you
0: had any media training prior to all of this? No. Well, that's the crazy thing, you know, because suddenly you're supposed to be this really, um, you know, outgoing, um, you know, entertaining, um, uh, interesting guy uh, to talk to on radio or TV. And so we used to do, um, uh, we used to call them talkies or radio and and uh, you'd do that at the record uh, company's office. And so you'd have a whole list of, um, you know, places that you were calling at a specific time. Mm-hmm. And then you would be asked questions. And it could be any kind of radio station. So you really didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the phone picked up and this guy was sort of, um, you know, talking to him, it's like you were on air. Yep. So um, because I hadn't had any media training, you kind of bluff your way through it. Yep. You know, you kind of think, well, I've got to be confident. And I've got to sound like you know, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm this really interesting person from this yep. rock band. So y- yeah, you kind of, you know, like what they say, you fake it till you make it, you mm. know, and until you get more used to it so that after a while you get, you get your, um, you know, you get your spiel on, you, yeah. you know, what to say, what yes. you need to say. Um, uh, and, um, you have basically, you really need to be, have everything written down Yep, because, when you were asked questions about specific times or dates or this or that, it's like, well, you really had to have it that you couldn't really be arming and aing and um, well, I, I can't tell you that. <laughs> yeah so, yeah, so it was it was a big learning curve, like all of that.
1: So tell me about the arc of bang the drum from from starting. Sort of how did the um, how did the band go? When did it wind up?
0: Uh, well, the band actually started in Tasmania as a band called Shifters. We were pretty much a hard rock band. And then we moved to Sydney and we were playing six nights a week, really working hard. And that sort of grew into um, banging the drum. And uh, then we started uh, talking to record company people and then it was like we kind of changed our style to suit the time. I think we could have carried on being a hard rock band, but I think they were looking for more of a commercial band, which is really hard because you're being shaped by you know, the outside world, really. From what you'd spoken about before, it sounded like you had,
1: apart from writing the songs, Mm. and even then, very little creative control
0: over who you were. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I think what it is is just that lack of experience because I knew how to sing, I knew how to perform, we all knew how to do that, but you sort of figure that the other people in the industry are the experts. yeah. So you, if they say something, you think, well, that must be what we do. We must, you know, perhaps we have to write something in a more commercial vein. So you are guided by these people. And because I, I guess you're still struggling for your own personality. You haven't really got your own um, image in your head of who you should be. So other people are basically dictating perhaps or giving you ideas or or, or trying to create some sort of... Um, you know, way forward for you to, to to make it, as it were.
1: So, digging into Steve's wisdom pile, as we did in the previous section of the show, yeah. again, advice for young people: How do they sort of forge their own path? Anything that you could say that's not going to bite them in the bum, mm. that's still going to get them work? Any?
0: Well, I I think these days uh, you are able to create your own path more because perhaps there is less influence uh, initially so you you basically write the way you want to write you do the things you want to do because you can release them as yourself so you don't need to necessarily go through uh, a record company or this initially so you are being pretty honest and open about what what you're releasing you know warts and all because there is there is a a thing you have to learn there is an editing process with anything there is a way of polishing something you know i mean when i first started writing songs i figured it would be verse chorus verse chorus middle eight Yep, double chorus out, and it was sort of like a pattern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it, it, it still it's, is, well, isn't it? it? It probably is the formula. But I I didn't feel like I knew enough about the industry. You know, like I knew enough about playing live and being in a bar band. That's probably what it is. You're a bar band. That's what you do. You found out how that works, and now you're going to take it to a bigger audience. Yeah, and perhaps a bar band isn't quite enough for people or perhaps it's not perhaps focused enough it's not you know you've got to make things really simple for people if they're going to listen to it so you know you've either got to be a pop band a rock band or a funk band so there's that kind of channeling when you get into record companies it's like well we need to fit you in a pigeonhole what are you you know are you hard rock are you this or are you that
1: are there any labels that you can think of who don't ascribe to that way of doing
0: things I can't think of any um, offhand, but I do know that record company personnel is a big part of what happens. I mean, we 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 signed with Warner's, and uh, within you know six months, a lot of those people had moved on to other companies. So this you know or, or other areas of, of of music work so all the um the, you know the the relationships we'd struck with people who were good friends or liked our music changed suddenly you had to sort of form a relationship with somebody else and they might go i hate this band yeah i don't like their music and suddenly That's you know, hard. yeah so it's all of that stuff so it's not necessarily just a record company it's the people in it you know you, you really need to have somebody on your side did that happen to you uh, initially, we had we had people on our side, and it was working really well. And it's that old adage, you know, when we when we released our first single, you know, we collectively, the record company and the band, had a hit. The next single was a reasonable hit, so we had a hit again. And the next single didn't fare so well. or oh, you guys didn't do so all well this time. So suddenly, okay. suddenly you're on your own. It's like, oh okay. So it's like fair with it. friends in many ways, you know. So it's it's a tough business.
1: Be great to hear a track
0: from Bang the Drum. Sure.
1: Um, any anything particular you want to pull out?
0: Yeah, I think um, we should play "Stay Forever." This uh, this was one of our probably first three singles, and this song actually uh, got into a, a movie soundtrack, which is fantastic. What so was that movie? That was a song called The Big Steel, which is an Australian movie, so um, I actually went to the movie specifically to see the <laughs> song and the track, and it was really exciting. I took yeah. my wife, and we had a night out. We sat there anonymously, and yeah. then, not that anybody would have cared, yeah. being Australia, yeah. um, and, and watched the movie and heard the song. It was like, oh, this is fantastic, and we sat through all the credits, as you do, because everybody else has left and you see that and it comes out on a soundtrack. So, So apart from being a single, it was actually a movie soundtrack, which was quite exciting for us.
1: is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on 96.9 Plains FM. Have you tried Taha Sparkling Tonic? It's made right here in New Zealand from the best natural ingredients. Manuka honey, organic ginger and kawakawa. The medicinal benefits of these three are well known. But when they're combined, you get a healthy taste sensation that's out of this world! Fortunately, you can buy Taha right now from supermarkets, cafes and bars all over New Zealand. Find out more at Taha.nz. Taha, it's where you belong. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Steve Driver on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, we just heard Stay Forever, which is a brilliantly produced track. Um, that, what was the name of the movie that that appeared in?
0: The Big Steel. The Big Steel. It's an Australian movie, yeah. That's it's a very, very good movie, it's, um I, I love Australian movies. They've got that sort of a down-home, yep. um, sort of uh, rustic just, uh, feel about it. gritty. Yeah, they are. They, they are. Yeah, yeah honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's go. the word. And uh, similar, but different to New Zealand, I guess. That's yeah. Australia and New
0: Zealand to a T. Sure. Um, what would be your best musical memory? You know, that's a really tough one because I, I guess uh, there's just so many um, th- things that don't occur to you at the time how significant they are. Um, I guess a big moment for me was going on um, and supporting Fleetwood Mac for the first time because we were playing in a big um, stadium. It was, uh, I think it was Brisbane Entertainment Centre, which is huge. And uh, the thing was that um, I didn't expect that we were going to meet them or see them or anything. And it, the, I remember the whole night, it was very exciting because um, we were in our dressing room and we were just sort of waiting for things. And then we heard the singing from the next dressing room and it was the guys warming up and you just hear these voices and you go, "Ah, that's them. I can hear the whole band. I can hear all their voices. And after that, um, I said to the guys, like preparing them for this gig, I said, look, I've 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 been to a lot of gigs where they've had a, a support band and for the most part, there'll be hardly anybody in the auditorium um, people will be messing around, looking for seats. They'll be out at the bar having a drink. So look, let's not get our hopes up. It's just, just do the gig, do the best we can, and you know we'll be out of here in half an hour. So that's that's all we had, like a half hour spot. So interestingly, we're we're sort of at the back of the stadium and you sort of have this long walk <laughs> to the stage and it's quite daunting because we've been playing in little pubs and bars where you're sort of quite intimately packed together. You can almost talk to each other while you're playing. But because it's such a big stage, we're all spread out and it's a very, very foreign feeling. It's like, wow, this is, this is a stadium. This is huge. I've got to make use of the stage and make myself look interesting and, and sound interesting. And so as we're walking up the ramp, towards the thing we hear the announcement ladies and gentlemen would you please welcome bang the drum and there was this roar and all this applause and the light house lights were down because I thought the house lights would be up because people are still trying to find Find their their seats seats. and it was a real gig it was a full house and we got a a great response how many in the
1: audience roughly
0: I'm not sure how much those places. hold. Oh, we'll have to do some research. But they are big, big venues. Yeah. The same as we uh, played the Melbourne Tennis Centre with them and the uh, Sydney Entertainment Centre. So you toured with them? Australian tour, yeah. Wow. Mm. So it was like, I, I've got a quite a number of dates we did with them and um, got to hang out with them. And, and they're lovely folk, really lovely folk. And I was... It's funny because I'm just about to go up and see them again in Auckland with Neil Finn, yeah. and um, I remember just saying to my son a couple of weeks ago when, when when I toured with them in the 90s, I figured that was their last hurrah because they were getting a bit old, and um, and they're still here, and it's amazing. I mean, the songs just last forever.
1: So what's on the what's on the horizon? Any more bang the drum? Possibly. I oh know it was a wee while
0: ago. Well, I get back to um, Australia. Um, usually once a year, I go to Tasmania and I play in a band called Shifters, which was our initial band, and we do a couple of gigs down there, a couple of concerts, and I love doing that once a year, uh, getting together with people that you know we know and love, and um, I think twenty twenty, I, I think we're just starting to talk about a bang the drum tour of Australia, uh, but um, it's 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 in the initial stages. It's one of those things. It's a conversation at this point. But I always know when that conversation starts, it's going to lead to something. So I'm kind of bracing myself for that. So that'll be a lot of fun.
1: Keeping yourself in shape is a a big thing. Now, there was a few high notes, a few B's and C's in that that song we heard. Um, So what are you doing vocally these days? What kind of stuff?
0: Well, I'm still out there singing and I'm gigging. Uh, I, I sing in bars, I sing at weddings, I sing corporate events and that sort of thing, whatever it takes to survive as a musician. So, you know, singing every week is, yep. is definitely a way of keeping those high notes. I don't have, um, so far, any problem with those high notes. And um, I haven't had to ask the band to detune at any point. Uh, yeah. So I'm quite proud of that. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, th- there will be, come a time when I think you have to say you know what I can't sing those anymore yeah. can we do a more of a cabaret version yeah,
1: yeah. is there anything um uh, in Christchurch or New Zealand that you sort of haven't yet done in your many and varied career that you think yeah actually I'd like to give that a bit of a nudge
0: when I came back from Australia I in my in my head I'd more or less um, you know retired from music because I didn't really understand uh, how to make a living as a cover musician um i was invited to sing at the blues bar with some old friends and i I went down and and suddenly it occurred to me i didn't know any of these songs i didn't know any blues numbers really to sing so it was like i've just been doing my original music for the last few years and doing my own thing so i had to sort of adapt to being um you know a cover singer again so that was a whole new skill it was almost like going backwards again So that was a big, big learning thing for me to do. So if I wanted to keep singing or be involved in music, I had to learn to adapt to a local way of doing things.
1: Uh, Aside from the music, is there
0: any kind of music
1: mentoring
0: um, that you do? I did uh, very briefly work at the um, Polytech uh, on the pop rock course, but my problem is that I'm not a technically... Trained singer or musician, I'm a self-taught, so I can probably help people with uh, you know the practical side of things. You know, you 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 have a certain um, uh, way of doing things. Even if you'd stayed in Christchurch, you would play in a bar, you'd play in pubs, you'd put a rock band together, and you'd make a living somehow. That's all changed. And so, if you're in, you know, if you're from my era or, or my age group, you know, it's that old adage, you know, adapt or die. Yeah. And it's like, well. It doesn't work like that anymore so you have to find a way to perform that works for everybody. I um, mean, we, we can't go on and do the same thing we've always done because that will only appeal to people of your own age and they don't go out anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very tough. Steve, it's
1: been amazing to have you on Garden of Sound. Thank um, you, man. I've known you for, well, known of you for, for many, many years. You even helped me out in RockQuest years ago. Um, is there a last piece that you'd like to take us out with uh, today? Another Perhaps another Steve track?
0: Yeah, I'd, um, I'd like to play a, a track from the Driver album, which was... Um, when bang the drum uh, finally went to the states we recorded as bang the drum but the um the u.s company didn't like the name bang the drum evidently it meant something else and i've since found out what that is and it's like oh i understand that so they changed the name to driver so this is a track uh, by driver and it's one of the probably uh lesser played tracks so i thought we'll give it an airing why not steve thank you so much for being on the show thank you Ian.
1: That is all for today. My guest was Steve Driver. You can find out more about what he's up to by going to gardenofsound.nz, clicking on his photo on the front page. On that page, there's links to some of Steve's ongoing musical work, pretty much all of the tracks we played today on a bespoke Spotify playlist. This has been Garden of Sound, presented by Mint Finance, business loans made easy. Until next week, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Hi